Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, Hood Classics, Good Classics, Derek, that's me, 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, leave a review on Podchaser, you can leave a review for the episode or for the show as a whole. Getting pretty good at that. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review on Good Pods app, you can also try and find it on Stitcher. Yeah. Chapter 22. The massacre reminded her of her father's funeral. Okay, so Bree shows up at the uh, wedding and sees money all lit up. Or sees somebody all lit up. Okay, let's go. Lena sat at the vanity mirror and Bree stood directly behind her, admiring her beauty. You are beautiful, Bree said as she looked at Lena, who was dolled up and looking glamorous. It was the day of Lena and Monroe's wedding. The sun shone beautifully and was the making of a fairy tale day for Lena. Breeze Breeze stroked her hair and smiled at her. Come on, y'all, not this early. Breeze stroked her hair and smiled at her, giving her approval. Are you ready for this big step? Breeze asked as genuine joy was in her heart for her brother and his soon to be wife. Yes, I am, Lena said and smiled at Breeze. Just as the words came out of her mouth, they were interrupted. Little Monroe came running into the room with his tuxedo on, looking more like his father than ever. Breeze grabbed him up playfully and kissed him on the cheek. Where do you think you're going, little man? She asked as she beamed from ear to ear. He playfully laughed, and she put him back down and began to fix his bow tie. You look so handsome, Mr. Diamond, she added. When she looked at Little Monroe... She not only saw the resemblance with Big Monroe, she saw all of the three men she lost. Her father, Mecca, and Monroe. The realization that her whole family had crumbled hit her. She felt the tears begin to build in her eyes, thinking about what the Diamond family had endured. The sound of a car horn blew, and all of their attention immediately went to the window and snapped Breeze out of her sad thoughts. Breeze looked out of the window and saw that the car service had arrived. Okay, it's time to go, Breeze said as she looked at Lena. Lena took a nervous, deep breath and returned the smile. I'm ready, she said. With that, they left ahead to the wedding. A tall, well-built driver with a suit and shades waited by the car. The back door opened for them. Breeze held the back of Lena's dress to prevent it from dragging on the ground, and Lena had little Monroe in her arms as they made their way to the car. They got into the SUV and headed to the site of the big wedding.
but it's not a big wedding. It's not. It's a private affair. It's a Uchi Waller. It's a one mic. Monroe fixed his bow tie in the mirror as his goons stood around him. His black on black tuxedo was tailor fit and it flawlessly hung on his shoulders. He looked sharp, resembling a black James Bond, but even more debonair. Monroe looked around and it hit him like a ton of bricks. He was around a whole bunch of niggas who were not family. He knew they were all there because they were working for him. None of them were there on the strength of love for him. It was his wedding day, and he was surrounded by shooters rather than his brothers. You ready, big homie? One of the Opalaka goons asked. Yeah, just ready to get this over with, he said as he checked his cufflinks. Just as he was doing so, Estes walked in. Monroe looked at his crew and gave them a nod, signaling them to leave the room. Almost instantly, they filed out of the room, each of them greeting Estes on their way out, out of respect. Grandson. Today is your big day, Estes said as he walked up to Monroe and straightened up his shirt and bow tie perfectly. Yeah, I can't lie. I'm kind of nervous, Monroe said, being truthful with his grandfather. Estes chuckled as he rested his hand on Monroe's shoulder to provide his support. You know what? Years ago, your father said the same thing on the day that he married my daughter. Don't be nervous, son. You're doing the right thing by your family and stepping up to the plate as a man. An honorable man. I just wish your mother and father were here to see you today. They would have been so proud of you today. They didn't have to say today twice. Estes lectured as he released a rare smile. I know that they would have, Monroe said as he returned the smile. I love you, grandfather, Monroe said. The two men embraced, and Monroe heard the music begin playing to serenade the few guests who attended the wedding. I guess that's my cue, Monroe said as he looked back towards the door. Let's go, Estes said as he put his arm around Monroe. They both headed to the front of the ceremony, where the priest was waiting. Abruptly, Estes went to the back, having to take a leap before the ceremony started. Oh shit, Estes is about to kill all of them, because he found out, because he has men who work for the feds, I'm sure, and so he found out somebody's snitching, and he thinks it's money. Wait, isn't the wedding that way? Lena asked as she pointed at the southbound interstate sign. Yeah, you're right, Bree said as she looked out the window, noticing that they were going the wrong way. Excuse me, sir, you're going the wrong way. We need to be going south, Bree said as she yelled to the front. It seemed as if the driver didn't hear her, because he didn't flinch or respond. He just acted as if she wasn't there. Excuse me? Bree said and rang her voice a level higher. The response was just the same. Nothing. At this point, they knew something was wrong. Pull this car over right now, Breeze yelled as she looked on in disbelief. The driver finally acknowledged Breeze and looked at her through the rearview mirror. Look, ma'am, I can't do that, he said with a respectful tone. What the hell you mean you can't? Lena chimed in as she was trying to figure out what was going on. The man who hired me gave me specific instructions. He said drive as far from the wedding as possible. Take it up with him, the driver said, trying to get the women off his back. Really? You snitching? That easy? You snitching? Okay. Alright, you gonna die. He gonna find you and shoot you, and you gonna die. Dead. All the way. Zaire made the driving arrangements. 
He had a plan, and to execute it, he needed Breeze out of harm's way. What? My wedding starts in 30 minutes. You need to turn your ass around and get me there, Lena yelled as she began to burn from the inside out. The driver was following orders, but with the two women in his ear nagging him, he knew it was smart to take them to where they requested. He turned around and headed to the wedding site. Little did they know, they were walking straight into a bullet-filled melee. The wedding setup was beautiful and elegant. It was outside, and everything was draped in white. A live band serenaded the guests, and slow jazz filled the room as the crooner began to zap flawlessly. You know, that's zatting. It's actually called scatting. Yeah, I'm still on my shit. It's called scatting. Like they are all over this book. Two different versions. Look it up. I'm too busy. Zaire's goons were scattered throughout the crowd, including Fly Boogie, who was trying to stay low-key in the back row. He had a tech tucked inside of his tuxedo jacket. His black shades did little to hide his identity, but at that point, he didn't care. He was just ready to get the party started. On top of the people in the audience, Zaire had shooters pretending to be waiters. Who hired the waiters? Like, who looked into all this? Did you did did you make them a resume? A background? Do they have references? Are you the reference? What company did they work out before? This is a lot to do to get people in there as shooters. Are they going to serve people first? Little did Monroe know, he had walked into a big booby trap. Monroe walked up to the front of the crowd and stood next to the preacher who held a Bible in his left hand. The wedding was scheduled to start in five minutes. Everyone was just waiting for the bride to show up, but Zaire had a different plan for that particular day. Zaire also sat in the back, hoping not to get noticed before he gave the signal for hell to break loose. He wanted Monroe and his crew dead. Zaire had just put a major chess move on Monroe, and with Carter's blessing, it was about to go down. Zaire looked across the room and nodded at Fly Boogie. That was all Fly Boogie needed to let the pandemonium begin. He stood up and whipped out the tech that he had concealed. He instantly pointed to the whole front row and let it off, hitting four of Monroe's goons with one sweep. Fly Boogie was getting busy. Just as planned, Zaire's other shooters pulled out their guns and began hitting anyone who didn't come in with them. The sound of thundering blasts and bullets whizzing filled the air, and the place went into a complete frenzy. Monroe ducked down and immediately looked for Estes. However, it was pointless because Zaire locked him in the bathroom, not wanting to bring any more pain to Breeze's heart. He opted not to kill the grandfather, but everybody else was fair game. He came there on that day for blood, and he wasn't taking any shorts. Zaire immediately began to let off shots at Monroe, trying to take his head off. Monroe, never slipping, reached and grabbed the small caliber gun from the inside pocket of his tux and began to bust back as he took cover. The massacre had begun as the bodies began to drop and bleed. Zaire's crew and Monroe's were trading bullets, and it was a complete war zone. Throughout all of the chaos, Monroe and Zaire were busting shots at each other, trying to kill one another. In the meantime, bodies were dropping like flies. The pastor even caught a stray bullet to the abdomen as the two sides went all out against each other. I'm not saying the pastor had it coming. I'm just saying the pastor knew 
who he was doing a service for. And after the Haitian came into his father's funeral and shot it up, I wouldn't be too surprised if on the Facebook page for Florida pastors of Miami, there was a big ass post pinned to the top of the page that said, don't fuck with diamond events. And then there was like 50 likes and one care emoji and an angry thing because one person wanted to get that money. But you went anyway. And now you're catching bullets. Are you going to charge them extra for that? I don't think they're going to pay for it, but you could try. The shootout went on for seven minutes straight as the killers tried to kill the killers. The gunfire gradually thinned out and only two guns were being shot. Monroe's and Zaire's. They traded bullets with each other, neither of them hitting anything. Zaire used the corner of the outhouse as a shield, while Monroe ducked behind the stage and used that as his fort. They were trying to take each other's head off. I wonder how the band is. Like, nobody's talking about them. That's fucked up. Did they finish scatting? Did they go, Zaire looked around and saw all of the dead bodies. Some of his soldiers were dead, and some of Monroe's were too. He saw Fly Boogie hiding behind a tree with his gun close to his chest. Zaire looked over, and they made eye contact. Fly Boogie signaled that he had no more bullets, and Zaire nodded his head and signaled for him to stay put. Zaire looked at his gun, which was jammed back, and realized that he had run out of bullets. He was a sitting duck at that point, and it would be damn near impossible for him to escape without someone covering him. Zaire... Out of pure adrenaline, stepped out in the open with his arms out. Monroe, he yelled. Bring your bitch ass out right now. Zaire was now in the middle of the floor, stepping in between all of the dead bodies. Just as he figured, Monroe popped up with his gun drawn. He knew that Monroe's ego wouldn't let him stay hidden behind the stage. Zaire racked his gun back and made it seem as if he had more ammunition. But he was taking his chances bluffing. Monroe and Zaire slowly walked towards each other, meeting in the middle of the floor. They both had their guns pointed at each other, both of them out of bullets while trying to bluff the other. As they both looked down the barrel of a gun, so much hatred was in their hearts as they stared intently at the man who stood before them. You coming here on my wedding day trying to kill me? Monroe asked through his clenched teeth. He was burning with anger towards Zaire for having the audacity. Yeah. And I'm not done yet, Zaire said smoothly as he gripped his gun tightly and returned the screw face towards Monroe. Just as Monroe was about to respond, they had guests walk through the door. Lena, his son, and Breeze walked in and witnessed a bloodbath that was supposed to be a joyful day. Oh my God, Lena said as she placed her hand over her mouth. Lena quickly grabbed little Monroe and rushed him back out, not wanting him to see the gory sight. Breeze was frozen in terror as she stopped in her tracks. It reminded her of her father's funeral. It was a complete massacre. Breeze then focused her attention on the two men at the center of the floor, both with guns drawn on each other. Zaire! Monroe! No! Stop right now! Breeze yelled as she stormed towards the two. Put the guns down now! Please! I'm begging the two of you. Look at all this! Look what you two have done, she said as her voice began to crack. She was pleading with all her heart. 
Monroe was the first to look away, and when he saw Breeze crying, it hurt him deeply. She fell to her knees and folded her hands in a praying position. Please stop, you two. Please. I've lost everything and everyone. I can't take it anymore. I can't, she said as the tears began to flow down freely and in abundance. Zaire briefly took his eyes off Monroe and looked at his wife crying. It broke his heart to see his wife in so much agony. His heart softened temporarily, and he looked back at Monroe, who was in the same spot. I'll see you again, Zaire whispered in a low tone that only Monroe would be able to hear. Indeed, bitch-ass nigga. <laughs> Last word. Indeed, bitch-ass nigga. Monroe responded with a smile. With that, Monroe fled the scene. Zaire watched him leave and then lowered his gun. He immediately went over to Breeze, who was completely broken down, sobbing. Zaire walked over to her and tried to console her. He helped her to her feet, and she immediately hauled off and slapped him. How could you? she yelled. Zaire stumbled to the ground and fell on one knee. Breeze knew that she wasn't that powerful. So she looked closer and saw a blood stain forming in Zaire's abdominal area. He had caught a bullet from the crossfire and due to adrenaline, had never noticed it. Zaire, she yelled as he grimaced and held his stomach in pain. Mia Moore sat across the table from murder, frustrated with her plastic fork and butter knife. She tried to cut the state that murder had prepared for her, but the utensils broke for the second time. Can you at least cut the fucking steak up for me since I can't have a knife? She asked as she looked at Murder with hateful eyes and resentment. Murder shook his head in disbelief and reluctantly got up and walked over to Mia Moore. He cut her steak up into pieces for her and quickly returned to his seat. There you go. Eat up, he encouraged as he slid a piece of steak into his mouth. You could have given me the knife. I can cut my own food, Mia Moore said as she shook her head and took a bite of her food. Murder chuckled and shook his head. Really? You think I would give you a knife right now? If it was any other chick, maybe. But you can make a knife a deadly weapon. I'm not letting that growing belly over there fool me. You're not some weak pregnant chick, little mama. I know how you get down, Mia Moore. Remember, I taught you. Murder said, killing any thought of Mia Moore doing any slick stuff that she was conjuring up in her mind. Abruptly, Mia Moore doubled over in pain, grabbing her stomach. Murder smiled and ignored her, knowing that she was trying to be deceiving. But when she yelled out in pain and knocked her plate to the floor, causing it to shatter, he grew concerned. Mia Moore fell to her knees while cupping her baby in agony. Murder looked at her face and saw that she began to sweat profusely. And at that point, he knew that she wasn't faking, but being sincere. Murder instantly got up and went over to Mia Moore's aid. Although he was holding her against her will, he wanted nothing but the best for her. He couldn't stand to see her hurt. She was on her hands and knees, grimacing in pain as she breathed heavily. Murder then dropped to his knees and removed her hair from in front of her face. What's wrong? Are you okay? He asked as a look of concern was plastered all over his face. Mia Moore was sweating and drool was sliding out of her mouth as she attempted to look in Murder's eyes. Are you okay? He asked again as he put a hand on her back. He never saw it coming. Mia Moore grabbed a sharp piece of the shattered plate, and with all her might, 
she jammed the sharp end in the murderer's neck. She let off a roar as she plunged it as deep and as hard as she could. Murder instantly grabbed his neck with both hands, and blood began to leak from his mouth. He gagged, not being able to breathe, as his eyes got as big as two golf balls. Mia Moore scurried away from him as he reached for her, almost as if he was saying, Help me. She stood to her feet and quickly grabbed the keys that were on his belt buckle. Murder was dying slowly, and Mia Moore had tears well up in her eyes as she snatched the keys from him and ran to the door. Murder repeatedly gasped for breath as he slowly crawled over to Mia Moore as she tried to figure out which key went to each lock. The piece of glass lodged in his throat blocked his airway, and he began to slip in and out of consciousness. Mia Moore finally got the locks unlocked and exited the house and ran for dear life, all while Murder was choking on his own blood. Just before he reached his last breath, he mumbled four words. It was four words that he meant with all of his heart. I love you, Mia Moore. I love you enough to keep you hostage and send a letter to your love, Carter, on some fourth grade Dear John shit. I wonder if he typed that. Because handwriting, you know? I love you enough to threaten to kill you and to kill the baby inside of you because it, it's Carter's. And I love you enough to hire a goon who will then come in and try and sexually assault you in my house. That's how much I love you. Also, she should have immediately took his phone and called Carter or just gotten her phone and called Carter. Just call Carter. Chapter 23. If the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be in the basement morgue. Zaire. Things seemed to move in slow motion as Bree sat with her face in her palms. Bent over in worry as blue scrubs rushed in numerous directions around her. She hated everything about the hospital. Its sterile scent made her stomach turn. The pale white walls were numbingly disgusting. She had seen one too many hospitals, laid in one too many electric beds, met one too many nurses. If she never stepped foot inside of another hospital again, she could die a happy woman. She had been sitting for hours, waiting impatiently as her foot did a tap dance against the tile floor. A mixture of anger and concern brewed inside of her chest. There had been so much blood. Zaire had been in so much pain. God, please be with him. If something happens to him, I'll die. Are you the young woman that came in with Zaire Rich? Really? That's the last night we're giving him? So we got Diamond and we got Rich. And then we got Jones. Her prayers were interrupted by a young black girl with a fresh doobie wrap and a friendly smile. Breeze looked up. Yes, I'm his wife, Breeze, she said eagerly, quickly. Her desperation was apparent. Is he okay? Is he out of surgery? Please tell me something. I've been sitting out here for hours and nobody will tell me anything. I'm Nurse Jackie, the girl responded. Isn't that the name of the, the Showtime show? It is, right? Okay, just checking. Zaire is out of surgery and the doctors did a wonderful job. They removed the bullet and repaired most of the damage. He'll need to stay here for about a week, but he's very lucky. First of all, my son had surgery um, about seven months ago. And when he had surgery, the nurses 
would come out every hour on the hour, maybe every 30 minutes, to let us know what the status was. No, it had to be every hour on the hour. They never left us in the dark wondering what was going on. I don't think that would happen in a situation like this. I don't think that they would just be meeting Breeze for the first time as he's done with surgery. (sighs) Breeze placed a hand over her chest and breathed a sigh of relief. Can I see him? She asked. Before she received an answer, sirens rang out and a group of nurses and doctors rushed to the ER doors. Jackie, get over here. We got one coming in, one of the doctors yelled to the young girl standing before Breeze. I'm sorry. I gotta go. Someone will come for you when you can see him, the girl yelled as she ran across the room. Breeze walked towards the commotion as she watched the girl jump back into the action. The doctors and nurses transferred her body from the back of the ambulance onto a gurney and willed it quickly past Breeze. This woman is in preterm labor and the baby's heartbeat is weakening. We gotta get this baby out of her now, the doctor said. It's me, Amor. Breeze looked at the face on the gurney, and her mouth fell open in shock. She chased after the group of doctors and nurses. Wait, she yelled. Please, ma'am, someone will be out to inform you about your husband, Nurse Jackie said urgently. But wait, I know her, she's my... Before Breeze could finish her sentence, they had willed their patient into the restricted area, leaving Breeze standing in the hallway distraught. She stormed out of the hospital and into the parking lot, where she pulled out her phone. Please answer. Please answer, she mumbled as she dialed Carter's number. Hello? As soon as she heard his voice, she began to cry. Carter, you have to come home. Everything's out of control. Money shot Zaire. There was a big shootout. We need you here. I found... She swallowed the lump in her throat. I found me and more. Carter boarded his jet with urgency as he nodded a greeting to the pilot. Let's get her in the air as soon as possible. I need to get back to Miami immediately, Carter instructed. I think they might slow things down, the pilot responded. Carter turned to him in confusion, and the pilot pointed to the red and blue lights that were racing towards Carter's jet. The unmarked black vehicles were filled with federal agents, and Carter's worst fear had come to fruition. Visiting Polo had been a mistake. There was no doubt in his mind that Polo had kept his promise by not speaking about the cartel to the feds. But just by showing up at his door, he knew that he was now on the radar of the government. Carter had been down this road before. He wasn't trying to catch another case, especially a fed case. Start the engine, Carter said as he stepped off the plane. One agent approached him, yelling over the whir of the plane's propellers. Carter Jones, he shouted as he flashed his badge. Agent Cooper, I can't let you get on this plane. Considering that your cuffs aren't out and your men don't have their guns drawn, I'd say you don't have a warrant. Carter said calmly as he tucked his hands in his designer slacks and stood shoulder squared in front of the agent. Now, I'm going to get on this plane and fly back to Miami. And you'll forget that you ever saw my face if you know what's good for you. Do your homework, Agent Cooper. You can't beat me. Carter patted the agent on the shoulder as if to say, Better luck next time. He then turned and ascended the steps to his jet without ever letting the pig motherfuckers below him see him sweat. 
Carter could face a thousand-man army, stare down the feds, or take on any other kingpin without batting an eye. But when it came to seeing Mia Moore, he couldn't handle it. He walked into the dark hospital room and saw her resting peacefully. He didn't understand exactly what had occurred, but he was grateful to see her nonetheless. He looked at her flattened abdomen and knew that she had told the truth in her letter. She had aborted the baby, his baby, and he had to bite his inner jaw to contain his sadness. Why couldn't she just be the woman he expected her to be? What was it that made her so cold, so disloyal when it came to him? And despite all of this, why couldn't he ever let her go? He couldn't get her out of his system. Whenever she beckoned, he came running to her rescue, no matter what kind of hurt she put on his heart. Carter couldn't figure out why his heart wanted her so badly. Nurse Jackie walked into the room. She's strong, Nurse Jackie said. Carter nodded his head. She is. He agreed with a sarcastic scoff. You must be the child's father? He's in the nursery. He's small and very fragile, but he's strong too. Not many babies survive being born three months early, but he's a fighter. Would you like to see him? The nurse asked. You dumb motherfucker. Carter looked at her as if she were speaking French. He looked back at me and more and then to the nurse. She had the baby? Yes, she had him a few hours ago. That's why she's so exhausted. She's probably on Mars right now because of all the pain medication she's on. But she'll wake up when she's good and rested. She did good today. She almost lost her son. And she cussed the doctors out every step of the way until she heard his screams, Nurse Jackie said. Carter leaned over and kissed Mia Moore's forehead and then whispered in her ear, Thank you. Fuck you, Carter. Fuck you. Fuck you, dude. Like, you don't know shit about shit, but you're assuming shit and starting shit where shit don't need to be. Like, you keep thinking the worst about this woman when she ain't done nothing to you. She deserves better. She don't even know. If she knew how much you distrusted her for no reason, she'd dip. I'd dip. We'd all dip. I'd dip. She'd dip. Come on. I'll take you to see him, the nurse offered. Carter followed the nurse to the neonatal intensive care unit where the premature babies were taken care of. And as soon as he rounded the corner, he saw Breeze. She sat in a rocking chair, holding his son, singing softly in his ear. Carter could barely keep his composure. He fought tears of joy as he approached his sister. Breeze looked up and smiled. She put a finger up over her lips to request silence. Congratulations, Carter. I'd like you to meet your baby boy, Breeze said as she handed the tiny bundle of joy to his father. The connection that Carter felt when he held his son caused his heart to swell. He's so small, Carter said. He'll grow big and strong. We'll have to keep him here for a while. No, he's coming home because we don't believe in doctors or medical care or anything that y'all have in this motherfucker. We don't, even for a baby that's in the Niku. Like, nigga, really? Really, people? Really? God damn it. I'll hire the best doctors and nursing staff to be with him around the clock if I have to. But when his mother leaves the hospital, so will he. Carter said with authority. He looked down at his trooper with all the love and happiness in the world. He had never felt so complete. The little dude was a true blend of his parents. 
heals the perfection that resulted from all their imperfection. Out of all the bad that they had done in their lives, he was the one right to fix them all. No, no he doesn't. A baby doesn't fix murder. A baby doesn't fix drug dealing. A baby doesn't fix none of that shit. A baby doesn't fix a relationship. A baby can't fix a car. A baby can't fix a glass of milk. A baby can't even barely fix their eyes on something for like the first seven months. Daddy loves you, man, Carter said with sincerity. The nurse took him and placed him back in the incubator, handling him with the gentlest of care. This will keep him away from things that can harm him. He's very delicate, and his lungs still have to mature. We'll keep him hooked up to machines that will help him breathe and monitor his heart rhythms until we're sure that he can function without them, the nurse explained. Can I have him move to Mia Moore's room? I want them together at all times, Carter explained. He looked to Breeze. And call it Fly Boogie. I need a man on her door around the clock until I can get her home. How's Zaire? Carter asked. I haven't been in to see him yet, Breeze said. What? Carter exclaimed, surprised. He and Money would have killed each other if Lena and I hadn't shown up. You should have seen him, Carter. I can't even look at Zaire right now or Monroe, Breeze said as she shook her head in disgrace. I'll go in and have a talk with him first. But he needs you right now, B. So get yourself together. The last thing he needs is his wife against him too, Carter said. He kissed his cheek and then held her hand as they walked towards Zaire's room. Carter entered the hospital room and saw Zaire lying with his head against a pillow. Eyes open. Face solemn. What's good, Zai? How you hanging in there? Carter asked. Shit hurts like a motherfucker, fam. Zaire stated. They talking about keeping me for a week. You need anything? You comfortable in here? I can send you home. Set you up with a nurse and everything if you want. I mean, I do it. I did that for me and more. I did it for Breeze. I'm doing it for my baby. I can do it for you. They said that if I do it for 10 people, I get one free nurse. Nah, the way B's acting, home might be a little chilly. Nah, I mean, Zaire replied. Breeze opened the door and stepped inside, keeping her distance as she looked at Zaire. You alive? Breeze asked. Yeah, B. I'm breathing, Zaire answered with a charming smile and a wink. Breeze shifted uncomfortably in her stance. If I hadn't stopped you, would you have killed him? She asked. Zaire knew that his answer could change the course of the relationship, but he didn't want to lie to Breeze. He owed her more than that. He had spoken nothing but truth to her since they had first met. He wouldn't start lying now. If I had the best draw, yes. If the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be in the basement morgue, he said. I won't stay around and watch you put my brother in a casket, Zaire. I will not bury another person with the last name Diamond. And if you make me, I'll hate you until the day I take my last breath. You end the beef with money and I'll come home, she said as she slipped her five-carat wedding ring off her finger. Until then, you can have this back. She set the ring on the foot of the bed and rushed out of the room before he could see her tears. Zaire grimaced as he reached down and picked up the ring. He held it inside of his hand as he brought his closed fist to his mouth and kissed it. He looked at Carter, who gave him a gentle pat on the back. Looks like I don't have a choice, fam. I better get comfortable in this hospital bed, because I may not have a home to go back to. 
Get off of me! Lena screamed as she snatched her arm away from Monroe as he ushered her into the house. I want niggas all around the house, he shouted to his three most trusted henchmen as he breathed hard and his eyes lit up in anger. Niggas on the roof and around the perimeter. If Carter and Zaire even drive past this house, blow them straight to fucking hell, he barked. Lena covered her son's ears as she rocked him in her arms. Money, just stop it. Do you hear yourself? You sound insane. Have you lost your fucking mind, she asked. Her once beautiful white dress was covered in blood. What was supposed to be the happiest day of her life had turned into the worst. Worse than when she got shot herself and when money got shot? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's levels to these bezels. This was our wedding day. The nigga Zaire is out of his league. He ruined your day, not me. He started it, but I'm going to finish it and snatch the fucking crown off his dead head. I'm going to hang the disrespectful nigga from the fucking streetlights, Monroe barked. Lena stormed out of the room in rage as she carried her son to his room. She marched into the master bedroom and pulled out a suitcase, stuffing clothes, jewelry, and shoes inside sloppily as tears flowed down her cheeks. She was fed up. The people she loved were fighting like enemies on the street. She grabbed the Louis Vuitton luggage and wheeled it back to the living room. Monroe turned towards her, confused. I know you're mad, Lee, but where are you going, huh? You're not going anywhere, baby, he said, softening his tone. Lena smirked and snaked her neck like... Okay. Lena smirked and snaked her neck like only a black girl can do. You fucking right I'm not going anywhere. You are. Take your shit money and leave. You want to beef with Zaire? You two want to kill each other? You could do it without me. I won't watch it. I won't stick around for the bullshit, she said. Lee, there are some things you just don't understand. Just leave, money, she said with hurt eyes and with defeat lacing her tone. Lena, Monroe said more sternly this time. Get out and take your goons with you. Monroe stormed out of the house, and it took everything in Lena not to call him back. He didn't even turn around before slamming the door to their home, and as soon as she disappeared from her sight, Lena dropped to the floor in devastation. She cried her woes of despair, drowning in a heap of lace and sadness as she prayed for a resolution to a windless war. When Mia Moore opened her eyes, Carter's was the first face that she saw. Hey, you. She said with a lazy smile as tears came to her eyes. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. Carter leaned down and kissed her dry lips. Why'd you run from me? He asked. Mia Moore frowned and shook her head in protest. I would never run from you, Carter. A nigga snatched me off the street in broad daylight. My old boyfriend. Someone I knew from my past took me, she whispered. Did he touch you? Carter asked. What old boyfriend, ma? What's the nigga name? Carter spit venom with each word he spoke as Mia Moore saw flames of anger dancing in his eyes. He didn't touch me, but I don't think he had any intention of ever letting me go, she answered honestly. We used to be close. He went to jail years ago and I forgot about him. Did you? Did you really? Did you forget about murder? I don't know if you forgot about murder. You didn't forget about murder. I met you and I left him in my past. I guess he didn't want to stay there. What's his name? Carter asked again. 
murder, she replied. And since murder's dead now, let's just talk about the fact that in the last book, at the end of the last book, he was literally sitting on a plane next to Lena flying to Brazil to see Carter. Lena was going to see Mecca, who had just been killed by Carter. None of this is discussed. And now the murder's dead, we will never find out. None of this is discussed. None of that shit that happened between the time that they were in Brazil, fearing for their lives, and how the fuck they got back here to Miami is discussed. I don't know how y'all are sitting there okay with this, because I'm not. What about the letter, he asked. He made you write that too? I don't know anything about a letter, Mia Moore replied. The first opportunity I got, I ran. I stabbed him and I took off. I didn't look back. I don't know if he's dead or alive. I just kept running until I couldn't anymore. He's the only person besides Mecca that I've ever been afraid of. What if he's not dead? Carter was livid as he saw the fear and heard the anxiety in her voice. Don't worry yourself, Ma. I'll handle it. He won't ever touch you again. Just lay back and rest. You've done enough work. You did good, kid. <laughs> kid. You gave me the greatest gift, my son. I'll protect you both at all costs. I love you. He kissed her once more and then sat back in deep contemplation as she drifted into a restless sleep. Hey, hey, Mia Moore. Hey, hey, baby, I'm proud of you. Baby looks great. He's in neonatal care. I'm going to take him home, though. Don't worry about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him wrapped up like a fucking doggy bag as soon as you leave we could just carry him out with us and i'm gonna get him care he's gonna have to be in the incubator he's still in on the way home but i'm gonna take him home also before you fall asleep can you give me the address of where he had you hold up at i can just go directly there while this nigga's literally stabbed in his throat bleeding out and put two in his fucking dome no I'm the one who thinks of shit like that. Alright, cool. For y'all to do so much torture to black women in this book, y'all are really fucking bad at doing anything to the guys. And where the fuck is Ileana? Where the fuck is the Mexican cartel? 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Uh, leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for this episode or for the show as a whole. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review on Good Pods app. And I guess on Stitcher. Who fucking knows? You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Um, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And if you're on Good Pods, after you leave a five-star review, you can donate to the show using our tip jar. Thank y'all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. As much as I talk shit about this book, I love y'all. You thought I was going to say I love this book. I don't. I love the podcast. This book, this whole series, this whole thing, nah. But y'all make it worth it. Leave a review. Y'all be good. I'm out you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club 
is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, and you say.